Well, welcome to the Flake Miri podcast. This is episode three. Now, this is a show about Gwent, but it's so much more than just Gwent Shinmiri, as we've already uh, kind of set the tone for this in, in previous uh, episodes as well. But again, I'm Flake, and I'm joined by Shinmiri. It's good to have you here, buddy. Yeah, thank you, Flake. It's great to be here again for episode three. Yeah, always a pleasure chatting with you. We had a really awesome weekend, right? Uh, casting open number four together, and yeah. I'm happy to to get back on the show. Yeah, it was a great weekend. We'll touch and we'll definitely want to dig into that. Uh, this weekend uh, obviously was Gwent Open number four for season three. Plenty to talk about about that. But we got to get to our sponsors, Shinmiri, for this episode. And our sponsor this episode is brought to you by uh, nothing again in particular, as we don't uh, really have sponsors. But this is bom, also bom, bom. I know it's a good opportunity <laughs> though for us to just say, hey, we're good guys. And, you know, there's no shame in saying that we, you know, we're searching for sponsors. So if you got something, you could toss it our way. This is episode three. It's kind of like a revenge of the Sith of uh, of our episodes. You know, a little dark, a little brooding, but still impactful. So we got we got some stuff to dig into for sure. You know, speaking of revenge of the Sith, the first time I watched it in movie theaters, I felt like so horrible while watching it. It was just like so dark and so, you know, kind of like evil. And I was like, oh, God, I just had a nasty feeling watching it. But it was still really, really a good movie. It was I a liked. good movie. That scene where Anakin shows up back at the Jedi Temple after, mm-hmm. you know, Darth Sidious says, OK, go and take care of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And he goes into that room with all the younglings and they're all hiding. And they're like, Master Skywalker. And then he just ignites his lightsaber. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, he just murdered children. Uh, plenty <laughs> of children. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah. There, there is, uh, there is the Dagon rumor report, Shinmiri. You can bring that uh, to us. I think, I think it's a, a recurring theme here. Yeah. So, uh, looking at the Dagon official Dagon rumor report, weather report looks, uh, looks still not happening. Still got nothing. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, and I know that uh, I, one of my favorite things uh, that I know that you kind of, I don't know if you like roll your eyes at it or you're just kind of along for the ride at a certain point, but every tournament. I like to just plant the seeds because I know that after every tournament, even though more and more people don't particularly buy into my BS, there is that one newbie who is like, did he just say that Dagon is coming? And I'm like, got another one. Every time there's, there's just always one Shinmiri and that's all it takes is just one. But, um, yeah, it's not happening. And, uh, it, not yet it, well don't say yet because that's i mean we don't know anything about this right so it could very potentially happen and we'll just never know until i guess a little bit before but as it stands right now it's uh, trust the shinmiri weather report it's not looking too foggy i promise you but gwent <laughs> did celebrate a, f- a fifth birthday recently so happy birthday mm-hmm. to gwent and Indeed. um i mean if we're going to go back in the wayback machine this week Two years ago, 2019, uh, was Gwent hit iOS. Mobile Gwent was born two years ago. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's a big deal. I think, uh, you know, Gwent coming out on mobile phones have uh, really expanded the audience, especially in other countries, such as I think China was really big for the whole mobile market. And yeah, this time of year is really has been a lot of anniversaries for Gwent. Two years since mobile came out, three years since homecoming, five years since closed beta started. Yeah, big milestone. Yeah, it seems like this is the season for all those kinds of things. And I was Mm -hmm. actually looking um, at patch notes from 
several years ago just to see if there was anything significant. And mm -hmm. I think the patch was like patch 4.1. Like the professor got nerfed. Ihuaraquax, uh, I think, got buffed, if I'm not mistaken. There's a whole bunch of nonsense, a few bug fixes here. Nothing like catastrophic or and or impactful in that regard. But it's nice to go way back a little bit and kind of think about where we were many, many moons ago. And uh, five years of Gwent is... That's a pretty long time to be alive for a quote-unquote dead game that's been dead for four years, right? <laughs> yeah, all the time. All the time you hear people saying dead game. But I think that's true for everything. Like, even Apex Legends, a game that has, like, 100 million players or whatever, like, people still keep calling it dead game. So it's just, like, wherever you can. There's nowhere you can go. No number you can hit that you can be immune from the dead game syndrome. Yeah, it's always there. And what's always fascinating to me are these people that are constantly lurking and, and sort of haunting around the Reddit threads and the Twitch streams that are just waiting to hit that button saying, <laughs> dead game, dead game. <laughs> it's and just a weird phenomenon. Like, they're just, they don't even play the game. They just, like religiously log on to the subreddit every every day and yeah. just see if there's anything they can pile on to <laughs> <laughs> exactly it's like is today the day i get to say dead game you know and then I, okay i have to admit something flake do it i i i experienced something similar when it came to artifact i didn't i never posted on the subreddit or commented on anything but I did feel some weird, overwhelming urge to like check the artifact subreddit just to see what the what the you know uh, temperature or the you know gauge the temperature of the artifact community, see if they were liking the game or if they were thinking that it was like kind of going downhill or or what was it most popular or what. It was just like weird. I, I, I played it a little bit. I did play it a little bit though. It was not like I never played the. Oh, I played it too, and I will say this. I actually thought Artifact was a good, I thought it was a good game. Um, was it a appealing game to watch other people play? I don't think it was a well, it, it was a game that was well constructed f as a game, but not necessarily built for an audience, right? Mm -hmm. You have three separate boards. How does somebody who just tune, tunes in get a grand scheme of what's going on and get that snapshot. Like you can log into a Gwent game more or less and say, mm -hmm. okay, we're in this round. This is what the points are. This is what's on the board. This is what's in the hand. I have, you know, I have 90% of the information I need to get, a, a, you know, to get situated in what's going on. Artifact was a good game, but it's not something that you can go in there and be like, okay, well, like I need, I need so much more information. There's so much going on. There's so much, um, you know, uh, these like subtext that I need to be, in the no for to actually have an opinion or, or to situate myself and orient myself in this particular game. That's not a detriment to the game design itself, but if you're trying to sell a game to be, you know, the, the whole hilarious, it's esports ready, whatever, but <laughs> it just seemed to falter. Um, and it's still, still waiting on that $1 million tournament, by the way. Oh, don't even start with that. <laughs> Can I just say one thing about that game? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. There were people 
like intimately linked to that game when it came out who got early access to the game and uh, Mm -hmm. i will say this the game had a very unique business model in terms of the monetization where you could go out there and buy and sell specific cards for actual currency for money for usd or canadian dollars or whatever it was via steam um and what what always made me laugh and i'm not going to name names but there were people who in one tweet would roast and shut down any inklings that the game was not free to play friendly or not friendly to people who um, wanted to not necessarily invest tons of money in it, but maybe a couple bucks here and there. Um, and in the and in the subsequent tech uh, tweet, they would brag about how they bought out every single card of one specific card because they knew it was going to be good so that they can, in their own words, flip them for a ton of cash. So in one tweet, they're talking about how welcoming and free-to-play friendly it is, and it's, and it's, it's perfectly accessible because of the market system for new people to come in and spend, rather than spend 50 bucks on packs, they're spending 50 bucks on pick to pick and choose the best cards mm-hmm. and then in the next tweet they're literally talking about how they cornered the market and how they're yeah. so smart and they're ready to just squeeze the community out of all their dollars i am so glad that those people lost that little <laughs> bit of money that they saw, thought that they were going to get rich off of. i'm not saying they're going to get rich and buy yachts mm-hmm. and stuff but still it was a scummy thing to do and it's unfortunate that the game didn't work out because i hate seeing th- things like that kind of mm-hmm. falter but the people who really wanted to be scummy about it well, they they ate crow at the end of the day. Yeah. All right. Getting back to the topic of Gwent, we had uh, Gwent Open number four this past weekend. You and I were casters in the official event. Um, what were your thoughts about the event in, in, uh, as a whole? And, and also, what were your thoughts on the lineups, the decks that people brought? I thought the event itself was, uh, it actually kind of came off a little bit unique. I don't know if you got the same vibe as me. I and mean, you and I have done... Uh, so many events, um, you know, we, we, you and I now have done so many events together even, and it seems like just yesterday we did our first, but we have a lot of them under our belt together now. And even separately yourself as an analyst, yourself with McBeard, myself with McBeard, mm-hmm. we've done so many of these, but this one felt different and it felt different for a few different reasons because it didn't even feel different now that we're doing it from home because that seems like the norm. When we go back to yeah. Warsaw, that's going to feel different, which is odd. Yeah, for sure. Um, this one felt different because A, the players were, many of them were very new. Like you have the yeah. Shaggy, the Hanachan, um, you know, those, those people. But there were so many fresh faces and fresh names. But more than that, and you, you mentioned this multiple times, privately and, and publicly, they were just shooting from the hit, man. We did not get much time to just sit and digest because it was rapid fire, every single card. It was the fastest uh, Gwen Open tournament we've ever had, like the shortest amount of time for the broadcast. And when someone told me that, I was like, wow, yeah, you're right. This one really felt like it flew by. And it wasn't because like there were tons of three zeros. There were actually quite a few series that went to three two. It was just like everybody or not everybody, but like most people participating in the tournament, they were just playing really fast. And yeah, I, I felt myself like trying to, ha- struggling a little bit to keep up with a pace with the casting to like figure out and observe everything was going on, thinking it through, talking back and forth with you. And then it would just be like four turns had passed, had uh-huh. gone by while, while waiting for my turn to talk. And it's just like, okay, 
Well, well, we're going. That, that's that's part of it, right? Is the fact that like you want to complete your thought and just yeah. wrap up your package. Obviously, sometimes it's like a, the turns would just ping pong back and forth, and you're still trying to talk about the the implications of a sorceress being at six six strength, right? Mm-hmm. And you're talking about it. But the good news for us in that regard was that the decks were so similar that you were not. It's not like the the, the viewers were missing a whole lot because the, a right. lot of the the, the play had basically happened before and it was just redeveloping so for us there was a a little bit of difficulty in trying to create you know a narrative where this particular scoyatel versus inspired zeal northern realms was different than the last one that we saw a dozen times already over the weekend right right? and that was that was challenging it kind of works out like it kind of worked out that yeah because the deck lists were so similar that might have been you know a, a cause for it as well people play the players are playing faster because they only had like they had fewer number of matchups that they had to prepare for because they the, the decks were very meta they had probably practiced them on ladder already as well as before they even saw the deck list they probably practiced against these um matchups quite a lot so they knew more familiar they were more familiar with like what lines they wanted to take already what was the optimal sequencing and they were just like okay i know i've seen this situation like 20 times already i'm just gonna play this and not actually thinking as much uh on their feet with matchups like potentially if people bring spicy stuff you haven't played that match you've been practiced that matchup that many times you're gonna have to take your time and think a little bit more so i think that there is some link some relation Certainly. I mean, you have all the reps already under your belt. There's no surprises in many of these cases. I think Lord Triss probably had the most unique variation of a familiar lineup, right? With Oak mm-hmm. and Sheldon Skaggs in his uh, Nature's Gift list and everything else was kind of... I mean, yeah, I guess you know some things were a little bit different here. He didn't go as hard in the paint with mages, let's say. But the 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 framework was there for a lot of these. Everyone kind of identified what the best decks in terms of factions and then beyond that what leaders were best and then beyond that what cards within that framework were just too good to to deny things like Raffard's vengeance and um you know even and then just through um going down till philavandrel and bountiful harvest and etc like these are just cards that and strategies that you cannot ignore they're just too good yeah, I was I was thinking I was expecting a, a little bit more diverse lineup because there was no qualifiers for everybody to kind of like net deck and be like, oh, this was the best performing deck in the qualifiers the week before, so I'm probably gonna just bring this line. And um, I, I think also like with how short the season was, maybe there wasn't just enough time for people to really explore some of the alternative strategies. I thought I would have expected more people to try out bring rain rain sk as well as meditating mages like all in meditating mages uh it's actually proven to be successful for some people on the ladder i know that umu uh the number one ranked player on pro rank right now got to 2697 with all in meditating mages a more uh uncommon variation with like renew potentially and as well as i think he had two variations but one of them had renew and then he was saying like was actually pretty consistent for him against certain meta decks like imprisonment and reckless flurry and they don't get there and that's another thing that it's fun to dig into or to dissect a little bit is the fact that um and i see this kind of pop up now and then on reddit and i know that if i start responding to these i'll just go on a on this massive it's not a rant but just i can't 
I can't very, um, you know, curtly respond to something like this, but people saying, why aren't these decks at tournaments? I see them on the mm -hmm. ladder all the time. And I know I poke fun at this all the time, but I say, I'm like, there's a reason you don't see Mill in a tournament, but you'll see it pop up in a, in, on ladder now and then. Or Lippy, you've never seen Lippy at a tournament, yet it's a it, it, there are patches of time where it's a very popular list. It's because they're completely different animals. It's a completely different environment. It's a completely different um, you know, sustained ecosystem that you have to thrive in um, with all the information given to your opponent. Mill mm -hmm. is popular on ladder when Hyperthin is popular on ladder. It punishes that. Um, Lippy can be that way and, and such, but if your opponent finds out what you're playing, if there's no secrets, if they know exactly what to, um, to anticipate, what to suspect, they can go ahead and target it, go after it, or just ban it. It's, it's, you know, there are, there are glaring weaknesses in this deck that are shrouded behind the mystery of queuing into a ladder that your opponent is not necessarily teched for, not necessarily knows what coin they're going to be on. They have these fail safes. They have these, these margins that they can operate in to beat those lists where, uh, or, or sort of insulate themselves from that targeted strategy. And, um, yeah, like you said, like meditating mages and, uh, Umu playing it to that level, nearly 2,700, which is in incredibly impressive. First yeah, of all, in two weeks, it's in two weeks too. So it's a super short amount of time. The season is has been really short. Yeah. It's been short. And like, let's just be fair here. Um, in the grand scheme of things, when you're talking about MMR and particular factions and mm -hmm. getting a score to something, getting your score to 2,500 is exceptional. That's pretty much, I would say, you know, nearing elite class. 2,550 to 2,600. If you can get to 2,600, you are elite in, mm -hmm. in Gwent. You are top 0.1%. If you can push beyond 2,600 to you know to to threaten and tickle 2700 that is an unheard of um a milestone that is so far beyond my own conception of what i can possibly fathom to achieve that most people's most people's conception yeah for sure like i i think my personal best is like 2640 um and so yeah like 2700 is insane it's actually like only only a, a handful of players have ever gotten 2,700 or above. And doing it with or something MMR. like you said, Meditating Mages, where, mm -hmm. yeah, we know Meditating Mages is a, is, a, is a potentially problematic card. We know that it has, um, I mean, ultimately, a lot of the sentiment is that you just don't slap resilience on a four provision card. You just don't. Mm -hmm. Especially a, you know, if it was a four provision bronze card, maybe you can think about. Uh, sorry, gold card, maybe you could think about it. But um, slamming it on a four provision bronze card in an environment where you could duplicate and play two at two for one in a in a particular turn, isolate those cards, have them happen, and under a potential leader ability that provides zeal and stuff like like there's all kinds of reasons why it's it could be problematic, but I think it's safe to say that all that kind of stuff has been leaked, and we know now that it has been neutered to a degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, you saw the 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 leak changes. We're recording this on Tuesday, and some of the uh, some of the balance changes for the upcoming nine point five patch have already been leaked through the Plague One website this earlier today. 
Though we saw, yeah, a couple changes have been revealed already. We're going to get the full patch notes tomorrow. Tomorrow being Wednesday, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then we know that by now. So this podcast typically uh, is is published on Thursdays. So we're recording currently on Tuesday. So uh, what we'll say here won't be necessarily be too much of a secret by then. But uh, you'll also probably uh, have the benefit of reviewing Shinmiri's uh, 19-hour VOD where he goes through all the patch notes and just all the possibilities in the world of uh, everything changing is is there anything specific out of these that you're you're uh, intrigued by out of curiosity shinmiri out of the ones that have been leaked already today yes i think it's safe uh, we can go through them <laughs> i mean we don't want to go through them all but there's a few things that i think we can touch upon i know that there's one um i'll let you gather your thoughts the one that i caught initially when mm-hmm. these were kind of showed to us a little while ago, I immediately said Osril does not need to be an eight. There's no reason mm-hmm. that Osril needs to be cheaper. I think that Osril's just merely right now on the sidelines because um, the the archetypes that were prominent, like Keltulis or or before it being uh, relics, he just didn't fit in it. It was not necessary for him to be there because relics on their own were good. You didn't necessarily need to set up. Um, big relics in the graveyard in order to eat them. It was just not not necessary. You could play a, a, a Gancan for five provisions and do more or less a, a very similar thing and save yourself some pocket change to, you know, boost up some other cards. But that one for me was like, hey, like, why? Why? It's not necessary. That might have been a little bit over the top. I agree. I, I also thought that, like, the provisioner, uh, the provision buff for Oswald probably could have been, you know, moved to a different card. Maybe a more archetype specific card. I think Osral at nine provision was still fine. Right. But yeah, for me, like I'm really happy with the nerfs to Coup, to Truffle, and Fakusha. Like I'm happy that these super meta cards are getting nerfed. Fakusha nerf might be a little bit on the lighter side. It might see more nerfs in the future, potentially seeing uh, depending on how this one does so the nerf to four power. Um, there are uh, some interesting changes and in buffs. I. I like the Death Wish buffs to monsters. Yes, uh, that's pretty interesting. I think you know with the Death Laugh getting one power is really significant because you're gonna get him back like three times total, right? So one power boost to Death Laugh is like a three strength boost, and we've got the power boost to Maruna, and then different faction. I like the Soldier Nilfgaard buffs with uh, with um, Crossbowman and Illusionist. Uh, both getting buffed. They have really good, interesting synergy with each other. I'm definitely going to try out like a Sil- soldier and Nilfgaard list. Have they... Was the was the Toad buff in there as well? <laughs> nope. But nobody's going to see this until Thursday, right, Flake? That's true. I didn't even notice that it wasn't there. <laughs> okay, so that's good news. Again, it's Tuesday. You guys did not see the fact that the Toad is getting one hell of a kick in the ass which is great um that's that's one that i think will 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 be very important i mean the toad at three there's just so much that dodges it it's such a uh, i don't want to say it's a bad card right now but there's no reason ever to play it it's like a swears like it's like a, yeah Worse spheres. Worse spheres, exactly. Um, um, nonetheless, uh, I I didn't necessarily see what was leaked, uh, but yeah, I'm glad that uh, I didn't necessarily talk about this anywhere publicly or anything because I didn't really keep uh, major tabs on all that. But yeah, that that's another one. And like the Death Wish getting some help is fantastic because I think the leader ability being neutered, uh, you know, like about a year or so ago was not correct i th- i feel like i know that it's it's a strong leader ability 
I know that it was top of the heap for monsters for a long time, yeah. but I don't think that it needed to be kind of handcuffed the way it was. And there's some will agree, some will disagree, but that's where I stand on that. Yeah, we'll see. A lot of people have been asking for overwhelming hunger to get the third charge back, but they've since already buffed Akimara, so if they ever did consider giving a third charge back, they might you know need to renert re, uh well re, yeah yeah re nerf or unbuff the uh, Akimara strength buff. But yeah, it's it's uh well it's something that we will have to wait and see if they ever decide to do that or if they'll just continue printing stronger consume and death wish cards. I'll just keep bothering my legion who will continue to tell me to shut up that's basically it it's like why did you do it is it because of v or vi and he's like no that's not why it's like you liar you liar <laughs> you lie to me uh i know he's a good dude um yeah i mean the deck lineups that are going to open four were a little bit very narrowed down and it was the most i mean let's be honest here it was the most homogenous lineup we've ever seen five archetypes really oh four factions and oh, yeah. only NR had uh, two different archetypes, which were kind of similar. They're like, it's either duelers with siege or duelers with mages. And they share a lot of the same same cards with like the students and Shawnee and Rafard's Vengeance, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Like, I, I I personally still really enjoy the, the meta this season. And I had a lot of fun playing ladder and I had a lot of fun casting and watching the open games because they're just such high level games with great players and they're pretty intense to watch when there's money on the line and qualification to world masters on the line, for example. Um, but I, I would like to see a little bit more diversity in archetypes with, uh, uh, within each faction as well as syndicate and monsters getting something a little bit better. Yeah, well, the patch might obviously address that and things mm-hmm. might get shaken up, but, um, you know, it, it's hard to fault players when they identify what's strongest and what yeah. is, best suited for for a tournament scene to to criticize them for saying well everybody's playing the same thing and everybody's doing this it's boring it's whatever well you know 99.999 percent of you out there watching those tournaments has have never had to play gwent for a thousand dollars in one matchup they've Mm -hmm. never had to play gwent with that kind of stakes so with that on the line and first of all it's a thousand dollars USD, and myself in Canada is like, wow, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. In, these are people playing across the world, where a thousand, like one US dollar, is significantly more than to an, to them than it is to an American, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, so a thousand dollars, like just to sort of walk this back a bit. I think it was Magpie who. When he won yeah. that major tournament, the amount Challenger, of money... Challenger 5, I think it was. Right. Season 2, Challenger 5, was it? I season think? 1. Season 1, Challenger 5. He won like oh. 50,000 USD for first place in Challenger. Yeah. And yeah, from, he's from Moldova, yeah. I believe. And they were saying that that is like the equivalent of three or four years of like worth of salary um, mm-hmm. for the average person there. So it's a lot of money. And yeah. You know, to fault these players and kind of call them out for being boring and this and that, well, you want to go in with what is best. You want to go in with what is obviously strongest, most resilient to what you suspect is going to be coming your way to knock you out of the tournament. And if everybody kind of sits back and says, no, these are the best, 
um, then that's what we're going to play. Well, so be it. And obviously, it's not good. It doesn't make for good TV, but it, it's it, it, ultimately you have to understand that. Um, I, the way I kind of see it, it's like, yeah, it's like I used to play, if ever I would play like Mortal Kombat against a friend who was not good at it, if their best option to win was to just spam scorpions get over here and uppercut me <laughs> i'm like if that's your way to win man like that's like that's how i used to i used to beat goro with Liu kang just tossing fireballs non-stop because it was the only way i can do it so if the, it hey, looks boring you gotta use what the game gives you right like at highest level street fighter 4 street fighter 5 tournaments you've got people throwing fireballs repeatedly over and over and over again just to see how your opponent's going to react to maybe drag out the time to do chip damage and if it if it's like got its advantages, then yeah, it's that's the optimal way to play. Then fine. I, I don't think you can blame the player if if they if you want to blame anyone, maybe blame the devs. But I think like even then, I think it's it's also part of the uh, homogenous lineup this time around. Is a lot of the players have are coming from the same community. We had three Chinese players. I think four C players from the CIS community. They talk to each other. They practice with each other. Nec Necrotal and Chase had the exact same four-deck lineup, so they obviously practiced with each other and prepared. I think a couple of the Chinese players also had not all four lineups being the same, but some of the decks were exactly the same. So, um, yeah, I think that also plays into factor with how these players have seemed to agree on the best four decks and you can't fault them for it like you said it's it's a team effort for a lot of these situations where one team if even if like if they're all within a community and they're all playing amongst each other and talking and sharing information in in most respects uh they're not going to necessarily come to different conclusions and just kind of walk away from one another they've probably come to the same conclusion and said this is the way that we want to do it yeah right? and that, that kind of seg segues into a topic that um somebody had asked about previously about how competitive teams in gwent function and you know you and i are part of team Eratusa. i've been around uh, team Eratusa for since almost its inception and i've seen like a lot of uh practice sections and people playing and preparing for gwent opens challengers world masters uh, yeah, so like there is definitely a, a prep team for most most of these tournaments. There's a prep team supporting the one, two, maybe three players participating in this tournament. And usually what happens is like the two or three people that are participating from from Team Eratusa, they usually come up with a similar idea. Like, for example, Demorcus and Andy Wan, first challenger number four, they both came up with the same greedy lineup strategy to counter what most people were playing at the time were like point slam, undisruptible decks that didn't really have that much control to to keep in check these greedy, what was it, like Siri, Nova, Olaf deck uh, back back in uh, beta takes, days? That takes me way yeah. back, way yeah. back. Um, the question in, yeah, this was, uh, let's give uh, credit where it's due. This was from Emotion Engine, who actually asked this uh, that we didn't get to get to in episode two because the question was so deep. But essentially, that was it. The question was, can you shed some light on pro Gwent teams like Aratusa or Team Leviathan Gaming, how they operate? Not really, uh, really well versed in esports scene, but I know that some games with massive followings like League of Legends, Overwatch, etc. Um, you know, and and then it went like that. Like, how do they prepare? How do they? How does the team operation work? The other question about this is also. Um, what was interesting in this in how it was it was asked was that they're talking about how a lot of these teams have massive corporate sponsors and a lot of money behind them 
Uh, and then they asked whether CDPR helps fund these teams. Uh, who covers the cost of day-to-day operations? Do members pay for it, except, uh, et cetera? And do like members get paid and stuff? Well, I mean, it's. It, I don't think it's uh, uh, that much of a, a secret out there that a lot of these teams are very self-sufficient. They function basically off of this 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 shared desire for success it's not a, a necessarily a financial thing now obviously mm-hmm. look we said at the beginning of the show if someone wants to toss a sponsor our way or even toss Aratusa a sponsor and pay that's amazing that takes so much pressure off and opens up so many doors don't get me wrong but the reason people are are associated with teams is that communal knowledge that that team building that 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 community yeah that joint push right of saying Mm -hmm. what do we all think is best how do we practice it how do we come up with new ideas and new solutions to the problems that are that are being proposed yeah like when it comes to gwent and gwent teams like eratusa and tlg this it's so far away from like the teams that you think of when you talk about league of legends or overwatch the professional teams like like uh, Cloud9 or TSM or NRG or whatever, right? Like we most, like the Gwent teams don't really have huge sponsorships. There may be like one or two small sponsorships here and there, but like the uh, the, the, the members aren't salaried. Like we're not making buck, like, you know, huge bucks or anything like that. It's just a group of people that are passionate together that are get together to hang out and talk about Gwent and, play some games together, uh, maybe create some content like the Meta Snapshot from time to time. It's more of a hobby passion thing than it is like a financial business at, at this time yeah, right? like, for most for most Gwent organizations. Like you mentioned Apex Legends, let's put it this way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you play Apex, I play Apex. I played a lot of Halo back in the day, played uh, Call of Duty, but I played with the same friends. And what's interesting about it is that you kind of have, like, we're not we're not paid to play together. We're, we play under the same kind of group. We're not necessarily a team, but imagine it as a team. But eventually it's like, okay, somebody needs to drive the warthog somebody's so who's the best driver of the warthog who's the best with the sniper who's the best on the back of the uh, the warthog gunner and who's going to control the rocket and the cloak and the overshield and you know things like that there's a team dynamic where you're all working together for the ultimate success that's kind of what it is here you know no one's paying to have us succeed it's the success that is the driving force for a lot of these teams exactly um, so hopefully that's a little bit of, of a more in-depth, uh, um, you know, look into how these teams operate. I mean, there's no subsidies coming from CDPR. There's a lot of encouragement coming from CDPR. There's a lot of acknowledgement for the efforts. There's a lot of involvement. The closest thing from support to CDPR would be like, um, for example, if if one of the teams were to hold a community tournament or something, CDPR might provide some uh powder or maybe like a Gwent art book or something like that as prizes for the tournament which is awesome uh but yeah there's no definitely no like money or salary right um but god damn it would it be freaking amazing if there was (laughs) (laughs) i will say that uh this might be a good segue shinmiri again that was a that was a a bigger meteor question that i think deserved a lot of attention from us because uh it was asked a couple weeks ago or 11 days specifically um from emotion engine on reddit so thank you for that submission hopefully that gives a little bit more insight but there is a mailbag segment shinmiri coming around the bend so uh again this is a good opportunity for everyone else 
we'll be right back with the mailbag. Again, if you want to reach out to us with questions for episode four, you can always do so. Reach out to Shinmiri or myself on Twitter, Discord, um, Reddit, uh, you know, satellites, uh, smoke signals, whatever the hell works for you. We'll be back with the mailbag in just a second. It's the mailbag portion here on Flake Miri. This is where you guys send us all of your life's little problems and queries, and Shinmiri and I will try to sort it out when the dust settles. Hopefully you're satisfied. I think that's uh, how we're going to do this, Shinmiri. I can't be satisfied until you're satisfied. Wow. <laughs> that That is going on my Tinder profile 100% right away. All right. <laughs> Uh, that is one that is probably up there with we can't lose those are two shinmiriisms that i am going to be just leaning on from now on um i will clip that and i will use it on future streams so thank you for awesome that. uh you want to dig in first buddy or you want me to go uh sure well you can go first actually all right let's go with uh let's go with this one um, what is the thought process when you are making a deck to climb with? What are you considering and how can you improve your competitive deck building skills? This is from Aditya Mulia. I'm hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly on Twitter. Aditya Mulia on Twitter. Uh, so for me, I actually, so... I think the biggest thing when like building a deck and tweaking a deck is thinking about the points per provision relationship, points per provision curve. I think for the standard right now, uh, a card with like X provisions should be on average getting you about X plus three points. So like a four provision card should get you an average of seven points. Uh, a, a 10 provision card should get you an average of like 13 points. It's not a, exactly linear, but I think that's a good baseline to start off with, especially if you've got nothing else to work on. And so you got to consider uh, what the average case is, what the what the low end of it is and the high end and how conditional these things are to evaluate how good a card is within a certain deck. Um, and then you have to consider, yeah, like, synergies is it a brick is it going to cost you a mulligan uh things like that so it's it's definitely um not an easy thing especially as the card collection grows and there are more and more choices um but i think you can kind of take it slow you can as a newer player you can start with like fully net decking from uh content creators or pro players that you know the deck is good and it's going to work and then as you start getting more confident with understanding the game and uh, and the and the cards and the whole deck building process, you can start tweaking things like taking a known list and changing one or two cards to fit your own preferences or tech cards to 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 uh, address the common matchups that you're seeing in your MMR range. And then eventually you get more and more comfortable. You can start building decks. From that. Another little hint for people is that a lot of people, a lot of uh, people when they're having struggle uh, struggles on the ladder is that they don't necessarily. Uh, first of all, stubbornness is incredibly detrimental to to success if you have you know there's only so much time that you can fit the square peg in the round hole or, or try or try to hammer it in if it doesn't fit it doesn't fit but tomorrow it might be a square peg or an, and a square hole and it might work tomorrow 
you need to be able to understand when to come off of an idea that's not working or a deck that's not necessarily well suited for a particular meta. Understanding a meta, uh, you know, uh, just kind of feeling the climate and and getting into there. It's like put it this way: a deck is like is like a jacket. If it's raining outside, you're not gonna necessarily go out without a jacket, you're gonna wear your raincoat. But if it's snowing, you'll wear a parka. If it's sunny, you're gonna wear something else. Now, you could go out on a hot day in a parka and you'll be miserable and it won't work out. So sometimes, um, you know, a, a it's very rare that there's a an all-season tire f- kind of deck that really works perfectly. I live in Canada, it's snowy, it's icy. All-season tires are garbage. You want winter tires when it's, you know, when it's icy and snowy and you want summers when it's nice outside. Same thing with decks. Some of them are just not suited for the climate and you need to make that change. Another little hint is if you do understand the meta, sometimes there's usually about 10 provision, uh, there should be like an eight to 10 provision slot in your deck that just punishes it, be it a Geralt or something else, something that will punish what is very prominent and oftentimes in certain brackets of the ladder, be it, you know, 15 to five or so in that range, if you're in that level range, that one 10 provision swap can punish and win around when it when you have no business winning it and that could be uh, a big swing uh, out there. So hopefully these tips can help you. Again, Shinmiri's uh, advice is important, uh, you know, and the better you get, understanding the meta also very important. Um, here's one. I think we talked about this a little bit. This is from Mark Theus on Twitter. And Mark Theus asks, what was your favorite moment from Gwent Open number four? Yeah, uh, my favorite moment was probably... In the double cross Nilfgaard mirror, I think it was the semifinals. I think it was Pork Belly versus Chase. And Pork Belly was pushing round two and just like uh, forced his opponent into a really suboptimal position with a double cross leader, either having to commit it early and lose carryover for round three or um, hold on to it and greed and hold on to it and maybe just not get a chance to use it at all in round two because. Pork Belly was threatening to play all of his cards from his hand and have nothing uh, for that double cross leader to, to copy. And then on top of that, I love the play with copying Blightmakers. At the same time, threatening and pushing the 2-0 and then playing Blightmaker, getting an extra assimilate charge and blocking that front row, making it impossible for him to, for his opponent to put a smaller unit to stop the poisons from completion. That was probably the most effective use of blightmaker that is not it's like it's not the way you use it typically that's not the way you want to use blightmaker you want to use it to thin and and roll for tempo getting that uh that cow carcass isn't usually what you're looking for and in that case it was done so brilliantly to and like with no recourse you couldn't just slam a body in there to block one of the poisons and just kind of walk Mm -hmm. away from it it was such 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 a, a heads up play i gotta say um that matchup in in in, in itself like those Nilfgaard matchups are always intriguing uh, to watch i just got a i just got a random thought what if at that point with the with no answer to that cow carcass what if chase had an access to imperial diplomacy and like played an imperial diplomacy and got a slave infantry from it and transformed the cow carcass that would have been the one out to that situation, oh my god, that would have been pretty sweet to cast that one too. That would have been awesome. Like and uh, I will say this: 
uh, part, I, I respect you immensely, but my respect for you way back when had really skyrocketed when you were on the analyst desk with Green Knight. And there was one of those, there's no way this person can win scenarios. And then we kick it to the, uh, we kicked it to you and Green Knight where you're saying there was one out. It was a long shot, but it was one out. He needed to do this to roll into this, to roll into this. And he would have been able, and I was like, how do you see that? This is like <laughs> written in the stars somewhere. Shimiri just coming out of nowhere. But yeah, that was another one. And it's funny because in retrospect, once we had time to digest, this goes back to the fact that they're mm-hmm. playing so damn quickly. But this yeah. goes back to the fact that, yeah, man, like there there were some pretty nifty plays and there was still so much to the left to be desired. Like a lot of those matchups were able to go to just go left or swerve right. And there would have been two different outcomes. A lot of decision making and just the reads of the opponent and those balls of steel moments of either passing or playing in round two. Thought it was uh, thought it was up there. My personal favorite, though, has to be when I I I very consciously avoided saying um, Elvin herpes and <laughs> you decided to just whip it out of your pocket and say, here it is. This is what you forgot, buddy. And I was like, <laughs> all right, writing's on the wall. So there, there, that, that's my perfect, uh, uh, my favorite moment uh, from number four. All right. So thank you, Mark Theus, for that question. And we got another one from Magistine on Reddit. How guilty do you feel adding a card to a deck that is counter thematic? For example, Placing a Geralt into a monster deck. Is there any reluctance or is a good card just a good? Just a good card. Well, I mean, I will say this. As somebody who is not well-tuned or gives many Fs about, you know, Witcher lore, I don't care. To me, they're all just cards. Um, it, you know, ask me if it was like when I play a Star Wars card game and there's nothing more, you know entwined in my dna than star wars and i've played star wars card games for ages and i have absolutely no problem putting like han solo next to a bounty hunter and thinking that it's a good idea like i get it it's not a big deal i have i have put i have had yoda piloting the millennium falcon and it has (laughs) not felt weird in my mind so to me how guilty do i feel zero because frankly a good deck and a functional deck uh sometimes those those synergies are go so far beyond just the the name of the card and the artwork on it yeah okay so for me it's also similar i don't i don't really have any reluctance to play play like uh counter lore friendly combinations together but it's really a nice bonus when it does work out that way. like in current northern realms for example i love how you know the devs and the designers have made synergies in certain cards that are lore friendly that fit together like dandelion and priscilla priscilla has an inspired condition and dandelion can buff her while she's in the deck to give her that inspired uh, to satisfy that inspired condition so that when you play her from your hand immediately she's already boosted and can already you know uh, get a stronger combo and so like when that happens, it's really it's it's an awesome feeling, but I don't take it into huge consideration, or it doesn't stop me from playing certain combinations. I'm going to play what works best, what's going to get me wins, and what I find fun. And and I I don't think um, I don't hold it against anybody who do put more emphasis on keeping their decks lore friendly. I think it's just different 
uh, different personalities have different priorities, and I think that's totally fine. Yeah, you play can, the game however you want. Exactly, and if it works, it works, and that's awesome because it kind of works, and 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 all the colors match, kind of kind of thing, right? So, um, all right, here here's my favorite one so far because I have been talking about this in in clips and phrases for quite some time now, and you get to be in charge of planning Gwent Open in season four with no budget restrictions what would your event be like this is from tank off via reddit Jeez, you want to go first i i mean i could i know exactly what i want to do <laughs> um all right so you've heard me make references to this degree uh i've said it on uh oh, hold on let me let me answer this question for you Okay. Well, I, I answer this question for you. <laughs> yes. It's gonna be a huge stadium, and it's gonna be like the crossover events to end all crossover events. And you're gonna have like you know, obviously Gwent is the main focus, but you're gonna have like four quadrants in the stadium, and you're gonna have like a Star Wars quadrant, uh, a Star Trek quadrant, you know, a Jurassic Park quadrant <laughs> a, a, a montreal canadian squadron <laughs> and they're just like it, it, somehow you're gonna mix all your favorite things into one huge awesome gwent event I that mean, would be my answer for you i mean if ever there's some sort of like flake appreciation event then that pretty much nails down most of it I mean, you could. I, I forgot that Larry. You gotta, you gotta make sure there's huge Larry focus. Oh yeah, everybody would get like a foam finger Larry, like Arcaspor, like waving thing that they could put around. Um, I would probably swap out the Jurassic Park for Lord of the Rings. Oh okay. Um, but you're you're spot on. You're really close. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. That sounds freaking amazing. Um, and I'm honestly flattered that you pay attention to me and all my <laughs> all of my loves that I mentioned over the uh, over the years. Um. It's very simple. I honestly believe that events that have narrative, events that have spectacle are always so much better. And I always wish that, and this is one of the things that, again, I, you can't fault the players for this, but some players just have more personality than others. Mm -hmm. um, like this time, Lex Smiling had personality. He had swagger. He just had presence. Even Chase, uh, I think it was when he's talking, like talking about how he doesn't like the patch and this and that or whatever. But like people like Tailbot, you know, uh, uh, Demorkies, these are people who have personality and they're on display. And whenever I think about that, I always think about um, in, in wrestling terms, there's what's called a, a baby face and what's called a heel. A baby face is the hero, the one that you cheer for. The heel is like the villain, the bad guy. Mm. Um, I want to create an event that is in that WrestleMania ilk. There's entrance music. There's commentators that are really, really hyping things up. There's special stipulation style matches of like, you know, like, uh, you know, rather than like a tables, ladders and chairs match, it's like a no golds match. And it's like, oh, my God. Like and then someone comes out and interferes in the match. Like, I want that kind of thing with, you know, you like, want a storyline. You want the tournament to kind of be like a movie almost. Yeah. And beforehand, you have the guy cutting the promo where he's talking, talking crap about his opponent and saying, like, when I get you in that match, I'm not going to bring it to round three. You'll be lucky if you scratch scrape away in round two and it's like you know and it's just talking about that kind of thing that's what i want to see i want something along those lines i would oh, i would go over the moon if i kind of had that um that that you know little bit of of creative uh 
uh, direction in one of these things. Nice, nice. Yeah, I think I'm just going to keep my answer as the, the Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Star Trek, Montreal Canadiens crossover. That sounds like a freaking blast. Uh, listen, either way I win. So how am I going <laughs> to, am I ever going to be, feel bad about this dude? Like that is, that sounds like a, a great time for me as well. Uh, yeah, I think we got one left. We got one left. Uh, if you want to get into that one. Sure. It's from Fuchsia Briefs on Twitter. It says, love the show, chaps. What's the origin of your game monikers? Ooh. Um, well, so I'll, I'll kind of back this one up a bit. I have been Flake longer than I have not been Flake. Since I was probably 12 or 13 is when I chose this. And this dates all the way back to uh, when I used to play on my 56K modem. I used to play... Do-do-do-do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That that's <laughs> scratchy kind of sounds like EDM now kind of music. It's it's like Skrillex before Skrillex got famous. Um, but basically, I, I I used to play X Wing versus Tie Fighter with the joystick on my computer, and I joined a league because a friend of mine played in a league. The league was called LSF Last Starfighters. Um, if anybody out there from that league is listening please contact me because this was my my introduction to online gaming uh we played in a league and when you signed up for the league uh you needed to provide like your quote-unquote call sign like you know you, you, you know and i had i was i still am a big simpsons fan and there was a there was always a moment in the simpsons where um homer is at the dmv and his sisters-in-law patty and selma are smoking and they get caught smoking and they're about to get fired. So Homer tries to do something nice for them. So he takes the cigarettes from them and starts smoking them. And the woman says, are those yours? And he says, yes. And he's like coughing and hacking. And he's like, she's like, both of them? And he's like, yes, I am in flavor country. So I thought flavor country was a really hilarious two sets of words to slam together. So I went in as flavor country. That was the call sign I chose. However... When translating onto MIRC, which was a chat platform way yeah, back in the day. I remember that. Flavor Country was too long to put as your name. So I had to shorten it. So I shortened it to F-L-A-C-O, mm-hmm. which was Flaco for Flavor Country, which mm-hmm. then people just started calling me Flaco, which then became Flake. And then within like a few months, I just said, I'm just Flake because that's the nickname they gave me. I just said, I'm like, mm-hmm. no, no, it's Flavor Country. They're like, that's stupid. You're just Flake. I said, oh, I guess I'm just Flake. So that's where Flake came from. That's where it's stuck. And it has been that for uh, 20, 22 or 23 years now. All right, cool. Yeah, and I, I got my uh, nickname Shinmiri also around that age uh, when I was like 14. It's like the year 2000. I was playing a, an MMORPG called Dark Ages. It was made by Nexon. Probably most people have never heard of it. But, you know, this is like the first, almost the first MMO that I played. And, um, you know, I had I, always been very bad at coming up with original names whenever any, any game or any service asks you to come up with a name. Everything always seems to be taken, you know. Uh, and then, you know, one day I was talking to my friend, my online friend uh, in this MMO, Dark Ages, and uh, we wanted to chat together on like AOL, Instant Messenger, like some third party chat uh, when we're not in the game. And 
I didn't have an AOL account. So they gave me their alternate account, which was username Shinmiri. And so I started using it. And over time, it just kind of like became my account, right? They never, my friend never used it anymore. And then, um, yeah, I just decided to keep using it because it was a unique name. It usually, it usually got past all the, like, whatever you signed up for a service, it was, it would never be taken. But then somehow, so I kept using it, but somehow like now I signed up for Twitch and Shinmiri was taken. So I became Shinmiri too. Now that was that was you to say that was the next question was like where does the two come from but do you do you know anywhere about the origin of of Shinmiri like is it from something so it's it's uh, it was originally uh, it's supposed to mean something in Japanese my friend told me it meant like southern wind or something like that but I've never seen oh. anything when I look it up when I look it up the internet says it means solemn or sad in in <laughs> oh, Japanese no. but like. I, I don't I don't care. I think Shinmiri sounds really cool. I don't I it, really care what it actually hey man. means in the Japanese. Well, that's what I'm saying. It, it, that's that's who you are. And like the thing mm-hmm. about it now is that the association of the actual translation is no longer valid or no longer right. most prominent. The the association is now with you, the person, which people right. already get uh, an image. Like if you say Shinmiri, you're not thinking. First of all, Southern Wind sounds very. Yeah. It's pretty badass, but like solemn sadness is not quite as gruesome <laughs> and fear and fear inducing. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I gotta say that's a that's a pretty cool story. And uh, there there you have it. I think that 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 does it for the mailbag this week, Shinmiri. Yeah, it was fun. So thank you to everybody who uh, reached out uh, to the mailbag and, and sent in your questions. Again, we will be digging into these in episode four next week. So if you do want to get in touch with us, again, Discord, Twitter, Reddit, Twitch streams, there's a, a myriad of ways you could probably even comment on this video uh, where it, it lies. This uh, podcast will always also be on uh, Spotify and Apple Pods, but I don't think you can comment there. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, so... Uh, I can't uh, comment to that, but another one in the book, Shinmiri, and I gotta say this one is uh, this one's probably our best yet. Yeah, I agree. I think it's definitely evolved into something more natural, and we're just chatting about anything and wherever the wind takes us, wherever the southern wind <laughs> takes us, Blake. And that is such a key element of comedy is you got to do the callback, and that is a perfect time to sign off and tell everybody again, please uh, hit the follow button on this uh, this YouTube video. Uh, subscribe to that channel. Follow it on Spotify. Follow it on Apple Pods, wherever it is. Tell a friend. Again, uh, we do thank you so much for listening and watching. If you do have questions, reach out. And uh, I'll end it like I normally do, which is telling you all that you're not losing if you're learning. So keep playing, shuffle up those cards, you might win. And to tell Shinmiri that I love you, man. I love you too, Flake. And we love you guys, the the listeners, the viewers. I hope you guys all take care of yourselves and uh, have a wonderful rest of your week. And we'll see you guys 